Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This meeting is being recorded. You've been warned, Mom. Fair. <laughs> Do you consent? Sure. <laughs> okay. Well, hi, Mom. Hi, Mommy. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Well, thank you. So, Mom, you are a big reader. Yes. I am a big reader. Yes. Are there places that one should not read? Sure. Like where? When is it rude to read? When you're in company, have other people over. It is rude to sit in the room and read, and it is rude to leave the room to read. What if I'm over at someone else's house and they aren't sufficiently entertaining me? That does not give you the right to go to read. That's a poor choice of where you are. You have to be there waiting for the moment they decide to talk to you (laughs) that you can answer them if you really want to be polite. Okay, last question. How important is it to you that your children be polite? It is very important to me, but it's really important to me because it's better for the children. It works better for them in life. They get treated better. They are respected better. I think it's a gift a parent gives a child when they teach them good manners. And by children, you mean the 41-year-old, the 39-year-old, and the 35-year-old? Well, yeah, but we (laughs) did all that when you were small. Yeah, no. Totally. So you have the benefits of that teaching now and have had it for a long time. Yes. Since you were 33. 30, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks, mom. I'll see what conclusion I come to at the end of this episode. Please let me know what you decide. I'm Casper Kyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. 
And this is The Real Question. A huge thank you to everyone who's recently signed up on Patreon. There's more than 630 of you now, including by far the most intelligent and good looking Vikram S, Kayla R, Rebecca C, Samantha S, Molly S, and Island W. Thank you so, so much for all of you. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. You're the best. So you heard me ask my mom about boredom. And the reason that I asked my mom about that is because every year I am lucky enough to go with my little family with Peter and the kids to Germany, where Peter is from. And it's like my favorite week of the year. Sorry, West Coast family. I love you. But (laughs) there's no real internet. And so I like can steal internet to call my mom once or twice. But like other than that, there's just no way for anyone to get in touch with me. It's like in this beautiful countryside with vineyards all around. It's some really quality time with the kids. The kids and I have all of these daily rituals where we play music really loudly and race through the vineyards. And it's just a very special week. Mm. The one part of the trip that's hard for me is, you know, we're not like sightseeing in Germany. We're there to visit Peter's family and friends. And so it's a lot of like living rooms and hanging out and like kitchen table time. And it's delicious food on the kitchen table, but (laughs) it's wine country. So they will sit and drink wine until like three in the morning, talking and having like intellectual debates about politics and all of this amazing, like vivacious, fascinating debate is happening in German. And I speak maybe 30 words of German. And so I sit there and to be honest, it's boring and it's like kind of embarrassing. And I feel like I'm actually putting pressure on people to like speak some English to me. Mm. And so like all these people are like trying to include me because they're kind and generous. And I'm like, you don't want to try to include me. You want to talk to Peter who you never see. And like Peter tries to include me, which I'm like, we live together. You don't have to talk to me. You're never with these people. And so it's just so awkward. Yeah. And I don't know what to do to make everyone feel better and for me to feel less awkward and bored and not included and like a little resentful. And I know that the thing to do would be to knit because if you're Mm. knitting, no one feels like they have to talk to you. They're like, she's doing an activity, but you're not rude because you're still like at the table. The thing is, I hate knitting and crocheting. (laughs) My mom is an amazing knitter and crocheter, and she has tried to teach me my whole life. And I end up throwing needles in frustration and going, I hate this. Like, I hate it. I hate needlepoint. I hate crafts. I've thought about this. I could practice my drawing. I don't really want to practice my drawing. And because I would only be practicing, people would ask to see what I was drawing. And then I'd have to show them my like C minus drawings. You know, like I don't want to do that. And then they have to pretend to be interested in it. (laughs) Right. And like speak to me in English about the drawing. And the thing I want to do at the table is read. But that is rude. And so that is what I want to talk about today is like, when is your boredom or the social situation like so awkward for you that you are allowed 
to just be rude. Mm. Have Have you like tried reading in those situations or have you been like, this is too awkward, I'm not going to, but I really want to? I have tried and it's, it feels really rude. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feel good. No, and I think that the difference is I tried on my first trip and like now Peter and I have been together for five years and I feel like everyone like knows I'm a nice person who's like not a snob dissing them. So we're about to go to Germany and I'm wondering if because this is my like fifth trip, if I'm now allowed to read. Hmm. Like, do they think I'm now cute enough that it's okay? Hmm. I mean, like part of it is like I love people, right? Like I'm a chaplain and I don't like being rude. I like being really hospitable. I don't want them to see me as rude and I don't want to be rude. Like that matters to me. And also it feels bad to be so excluded and to have people pity you like and feel bad for you. Mm -hmm. I'm also suddenly just comparing how this experience would be if all of these people were in your home, right? When you're clear that you're hosting, A, that you would feel clearer in the responsibility, but also much more comfortable in the space because like you would know, okay, everyone's around the dinner table. They're having a great time. I'm just going to be in the living room. Like you can still see me, but it's easier to like step out and just read there. And we've done that. We've hosted people from Germany a lot. And I love it because I just get to like cook and clean. Right. I seem like a 1950s housewife, which I am not (laughs) usually. Like I just get to seem so (laughs) generous. I'm not, but I get to seem that way. Yeah, you you get to just be useful and, and, and feel like part of it, but not stuck in a situation that actually is not at all interesting for you. But when you're there... You can't do the same thing because it's not your house. And so you're kind of stuck in this no man's land, this no person's land. Well, the kids, so the kids are a great excuse, right? Like in Germany, because Peter's having such a good time connecting with his family, I really get to step into like full stepmom mode. And it's one of the Mm. reasons I love Germany. Like I get to like do shower and bath time and I get to do story time. And so like the kids are a little bit of that, but there just really is a point where the kids are like, can we please play without you? You're almost 40 and you're not that fun. (laughs) And I'm like, that's just so reasonable. Yeah. So it sounds like the crux of this question is really about the conflict between taking care of yourself and like wanting yourself to be fulfilled and entertained and stimulated and also not wanting to offend or hurt these family members of your partner, but also maybe your partner more than anything else, right? Like, because these people are important to him and he's important to you. And so how much do you owe your partner versus how much do you owe to yourself? So what's the first text that you brought to help you figure out this question? Casper, I brought a truly great text of our time, Romancing Mr. Bridgerton by Julia Quinn, the fourth book in the Bridgerton series. I love it. And my favorite book in the Bridgerton series. For those of you who haven't read the series, there is a character named Lady Danbury who is reflected beautifully in the first season of the show that just came out on Netflix. And so Lady Danbury is this woman of unnamed age who is constantly saying, I'm old so I can do whatever I want. And she is a busybody (laughs) with a lot of money. She's a widow with a lot of power. She's just like bossy (laughs) and doesn't care. 
And this book is Colin's book, Colin Bridgerton's. And they are at a ball. And they are at a ball during Georgian England, right? Where like decorum is the most important thing. You can only wear certain colors based on if you're married or not, or if you're grieving Mm -hmm. or not. Like everything is read into in minute detail. If you waltz with someone more than once, it matters. Who you dance with (laughs) first matters, right? Like the minute detail of behavior is just scrutinized and elevated to being representative of your entire character and your your family's character. If you misbehave, it can impugn and indict your whole family. Right. So this is at a ball. Lady Danbury is speaking to a man with a lot of power and a woman who is a lady and very well respected. And here's the quote. Lady Danbury let out a noise that was either a wheeze or a giggle. Colin wasn't sure which, and then said, it's always impolite to talk about money, mixed company or no, but when one is my age, one can do almost anything one pleases. Hmm. And what I love about that is that even in the strictest circumstances, there are exceptions to politeness's rules. Like you pointed out, right, like in my own home, the politeness would be different in the same circumstance. The same exact people Mm. around my kitchen table would allow me to do a totally different set of things than I am allowed to do around someone else's kitchen table. And I love that this says, like, there's an exception for me because I'm old. And I would like to think there's an exception for me because I'm a foreigner. Tell me about the beginning of what she says. It's always impolite to talk about money because it it strikes me that she acknowledges what the rule is before she then breaks it. Oh, so you're saying that if I just say, I know it's rude that I'm reading, I can then read. (laughs) And then and I say that, I mean, say to Peter, please announce to the table in German that I know it's rude that I'm reading. I mean, I feel like if you're going to learn one phrase of German, that's the one you've got to learn. <laughs> I know, I know I'm know, i telling you what to do here, but I feel like that's pretty simple. <laughs> Probably not. No sentence in German is simple. I don't even know how to say excuse me because I keep asking and it's like a million years long. It's like a poem. Entschuldigung. Yeah, that's not fair. But I, but I love that she does that, right? Like that she, she acknowledges what the rule is. She's clearly not clueless about the norms, but then she kind of buys this permission somehow because of her age. But she's not even that old. I mean, she, no, she's totally exaggerating how old she is all the time. But she even scaffolds it because this is in response to, they're talking about money and Colin is like, we're not Mm. supposed to talk about money Mm. amongst the sexes, right? Like in mixed company. And she's like, no, no, Mm. no, I'm offending two rules. It's not okay to do it in mixed company. It's just also not okay to do it. Like we're not supposed to talk about money. Mm. And I agree about old age. I feel like, You can't be mean when you're old because mean is never okay. But like, I don't know. I think it's sort of okay to start caring about social graces less when you're old. And so I want to give myself permission to care less about social graces in Deutsch. 
Yeah, that's really interesting to me, Vanessa, because it actually changes the question a little bit or it deepens it because it's not just a technical question of like, how do I get these people permission for me to read the book? And, you know, it's a little awkward, but we're going to get through it. And it's actually a question of like, there are norms in society, like when you're in company with your partner's friends, like it's your responsibility to be interested and attentive. And like, even if they don't speak the same language, everyone is trying to make an effort with you in English and you're going to try and make a little bit of effort in German. And we're all going to pretend that actually this is really fun when we all know actually it'd be easier if you were just somewhere else. Right. And what I hear you asking is like, I'm just going to stop pretending. Like, it's not that you don't care if people get offended. You don't want to hurt anyone. But also like this pretense is just dumb. <laughs> right. They don't want to talk to me either. They want right. to speak in German, not in their third language. I will say that I have gotten a couple of comments in Germany about how offensive it is that Americans don't speak second languages. Mm. Like that is another fair thing about the situation. And I really do have every intention of learning German. It's a fraught thing for a lot of reasons for me. And that have nothing to do with the Holocaust, actually. It's it's like really hmm. that I'm from Los Angeles and my mom and brother both speak Spanish. And there's a huge Spanish-speaking population in Los Angeles, but also in the United States in general. And I care a lot about connecting with Spanish speakers in the U.S. as an American. Hmm. And so any extra time that I have to study languages, it feels like dire important to me to spend that time practicing Spanish. Hmm. And so it feels like learning German even though Peter and I plan on spending a lot of time in Germany in retirement, so it's important, it feels like German is taking away time from my Spanish. And so in the meantime, I just study neither. <laughs> Winner! <laughs> well, there's something here, which, you, you know, you talked about Lady Danbury and, and Colin in particular, th the fact that anything that they do doesn't just represent them, it represents their family or, or something bigger than themselves. And so you being the American in the conversation, it's not just about you, Vanessa, like maybe being awkward or letting Peter down in some way. It's about you representing America and its imperialist cultural supremacy and its ignorance. And it's like all the things that, especially for Europeans, that's how we look at America. That's at stake here as well of like, is it about representing America or is it being like, oh, damn it, I'm falling into this vision of Americans that I don't want to be part of? Yeah, it's the latter that I don't want to be represented in this image of America, but also like that I don't totally feel part of it, right? Like I was raised by immigrants yeah. and English was not always spoken in my house and certainly not in my grandparents' house. And so there's part of me that's like, yes, I am American. And here especially, I am not going to apologize for being American. Yeah. I did not vote for Trump and I don't like it that you assume that all people did, right? Like yeah. I am only truly patriotic in other countries. I'm like, excuse me, we have good things too. <laughs> have you heard of apple cider donuts? Because lady... <laughs> You we should try have them. <laughs> Whipped cream cheese made Casper happy here. Oh, oh my God. It's so good. <laughs> you know, I get like very, I like, I get proud of our diversity and I get proud about a lot of things and really don't like being lectured about the United States in like really homogeneous communities of all white people. Yeah. I'm just like, screw you. And that's not the tone at this table. I mean, the other thing is I'm not just representing Americans. I am representing Jews. Mm. They're not anti-Semitic at all, but also I'm the only Jew they know. And so I don't want to be like any 
negative stereotype of a Jew. Yeah. Yeah. Like integrating into society or something. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. And like, I'm also not thinking about any of that. Right. I'm just thinking about how I wish I was reading my book. Right. But this is why it's complicated. It's not just a simple like, hey, it was so lovely having dinner. I'm just going to pop next door. Like it represents not just to you, but probably to them, actually something much bigger. And the other thing that I just love that you said is about social norms in general. I remember feeling this way when I turned 29 that I was like, ooh, I'm almost 30. <laughs> like I no longer really care what certain people think about me. And and yeah. it was just so freeing. And now I'm 39. And so I'm looking at 40 and I'm like, oh, I care even less. And so (laughs) I no longer wear high heels. Like it is a thing that is expected of women at weddings, right? That like you wear high heels. And I just bought gold glitter Doc Martens because I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I just, it is uncomfortable and painful. And I have back problems and ankle problems and just like, no. And there's a lot of things like that. I don't shave my legs anymore. I'm like, these are so dumb and I hate them. And so I'm just not doing them anymore. And so that's the other thing that's happening is that when Peter and I started dating, I was 34 and I like, Mm. I cared more. And I just like, don't. I just don't anymore. And I actually think that's something he likes about me. (laughs) I now have pink Crocs. What is that? Except I don't care. That is the the true international symbol of I have stopped giving a fuck about what you think of me. (laughs) And like, I haven't stopped respecting myself. Right. Like, I care about being clean and looking presentable and not having food on my clothes. I just don't care about any of the norms anymore. Or I still care. I just know I'm fucking with them. Like, both of these weddings, I'm a little concerned that I'm going to offend the brides. But I'm also like, do you know what? I'm going to offend you. And I'm sorry. And that might be uncomfortable. But like, uh, I don't care enough. So I feel like this part of the equation, like Lady Danbury has helped us figure out, right? Like she says she acknowledges what the rule is and then explains why she is no longer abiding by it. And by all accounts, at least in this little moment of the text that you pointed to us, there's no like horrific reaction to that, right? Like the brides are going to be fine that you're wearing fancy Doc Martens. Like it's not going to ruin someone's wedding. Sure, people are going to maybe look at them and be like, that's different. And then you're going to be like, isn't it great? And then they'll be like, yeah, fun. Uh, I think some people will gossip. I will say right before this conversation with Lady Danbury, Colin and Penelope are trying to avoid her. They're like, oh, go, Mm. go, go. And then they get caught in the conversation and then they end up really enjoying the conversation. But she does have this reputation of like being truth telling even to the point of rudeness. And I do think I will offend at least one of the brides. I think she'll be like, this is my wedding. Can you please put on nice shoes? But then she's going to give you a hug and you're going to tell a funny joke and you're going to tell her how much you love her. And then she's going to feel so great about it. You know, like, I feel like this personal interaction piece, you know how to do because you do it every day. But I think it's the bigger question underneath it of this representing something or like falling into patterns of expectations. That's where I'm hearing your concern most clearly. I love that. So what you're saying is basically like I might offend the bride on first sight and then I'll hug her and be like, like my fancy shoes and acknowledge it. And just like Lady Danbury, they were avoiding her and preemptively annoyed by her. And then they talk to her and they're like, oh, she's charming and fun. 
Yeah. And so, okay, that's super, super helpful. But Lady Danbury is in the books like a white lady with a ton of power. And so Mm. she isn't like representing, you know, anything Mm. in this setting. If anything, she actually has more power than anyone else in the Mm -hmm. room. So, Casper, you're essentially giving me permission to read at the table, to, like, make a funny joke, have Peter translate it, and then just sit there and read. And every once in a while, like, get up and refill people's wine glasses so they, like, know I'm engaged. But basically, you're giving me permission to read. Yeah, I feel like I wouldn't sit down at the table and take out my book, right? Like, I would spend, you know, at least for the first course, I would be engaging and make sure you have little moments of chit chat. But then, you know, once you finished your main course and everyone else is really now enjoying the wine and the dessert is still an hour away, then out comes the romance novel and the sweet word to your your neighbors both side of you. And you're like, I'm just going to read this, but I'm so glad you're both here. And then you're just like, you know, like that feels way within your wheelhouse already. Okay. I love this. Great. But I think it's only half the question that you're asking. So let's turn to our second text and see if it can help us with that deeper question, or should I say the real question? Uh, If only that had been the title of our podcast instead of the (laughs) right answer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. So what did you bring for your second text? So for my second text, I brought an essay that I know you love also called On the Right Use of School Studies by Simone Weil. Yay! I know. It is included in her collection of essays called Waiting for God. And Simone Weil was this just incredibly special teacher and philosopher who lived in the early 20th century Albert Camus, the Nobel laureate, once described her as the only great spirit of our times. She was French by birth, 
And she was Jewish by birth, but was constantly flirting with Catholicism. And there's actually mm. like different accounts about whether or not she converted at the end of her life. Some people say yes. Other people in her, a lot of her writings, she says, I love Catholicism, but there's some things that keep me away from it. Anyway, she's incredible. And her essay, The Right Use of School Studies, is essentially an argument for the humanities, but it's saying that when you're learning something, it's not the subject matter that you're learning that matters, but it is the process of struggling and of paying attention and the process of learning that matters. And she makes a spiritual argument about it. And this is the quote that I chose from the essay. The solution of a geometry problem does not in itself constitute a precious gift, but it is the image of something precious. Being a little fragment of particular truth, it is a pure image of the unique, eternal, and living truth, the very truth which once in a human voice declared, I am the truth. Mm. And the reason that I picked this quote is because I can look at this dinner table as a geometry problem mm. and say, like, this is truth and see all of these undercurrents of, like, mm. I'm the American at the table who can't understand, but I'm also someone who loves Peter and therefore they love me and I'm someone who the kids are running up to and I'm someone who they are going to constantly ask me why I'm not drinking more wine, <laughs> right? Like, and But that for the most part, I'm just sitting there like that should be something that is beautiful enough that whatever it is, right, like 20 hours a year, mm. I can attend to it and I can just sit there and like observe the beauty and that actually my spiritual life will be nourished by it. Simone Weil in the same essay says attention is love and love is God. Mm. And so basically practicing attention is practicing love and practicing being in conversation with God. Mm. So like, shouldn't I just see this as a geometry problem? <laughs> and like, what matters is that I'm struggling with it. Mm. It's important that she uses geometry. I, you know, she's choosing a subject that isn't necessarily uh, one that comes easily to her or, or me or you, I think <laughs> necessarily, right? Or one that's useful on a day-to-day -day basis mm -hmm. for non-engineers, mm -hmm. right? So w what do you think Simone would say well, I guess I'm wondering what she would ask you to pay attention to in the conversation, because you can't understand the words that they're saying. Right. I mean, she talks at another point in the essay about studying Greek mm. being about practicing attention. What I will say is that if I am reading, I am reading distractedly, right? I'm constantly looking up to see where the kids are, what's going on. Mm to engage, to like when people laugh, like look up and smile, even though I have no idea what they're laughing about. Like, it's not like I'm going to be deeply immersed in my book yeah. and paying close attention to my book. Yeah. And I think you were right to say a romance novel, right? Like part of what's great about them is that you can follow them even when you're not able to pay very close attention to them. Mm. And so it's not like I'm going to be like finally really sitting down and reading Anna Karenina. Like maybe I can in Germany in bed at night, but like I can't at the dinner table. Yeah. So if I'm not going to be able to like really read, like why don't I just not and like just, you know, bask in the beauty of Peter being happy with his family? Yeah. I'm trying to think about the attention frame at the dinner table because I really appreciate that you're 
being challenged by Simone, you're like, I can do this. I can do hard things, which you can. But I'm just trying to latch on to like, is it the faces at the table? Like, do you study them like an artist would? Is it that you you notice who's talking the most and who's talking the least? Is it that you learn three new vocab words every day and you just look out if they show up in the conversation? You know what I mean? I'm trying to figure out what would Simone point us to, to really pay attention to because just sitting there passively and feeling left out and frustrated is not what she's arguing for in this essay. Right. I am definitely someone who's scared of my own thoughts, Mm. right? Like despair overwhelms me uh, like weekly, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And it like tends to pass, but I walk around with earbuds in listening to music or podcasts or books I'm pretty good about like deep breathing for like a minute. I I do my stretches for five minutes a day without listening to anything. But like that's my limit. And so I think that part of what calls me Mm. to this Simone Vey frame of mind is like maybe the invitation of these dinners is to like actually have to live with my own thoughts. Mm. I'm struck in the text that she has this word truth that keeps coming back. And at first she she talks about being a little fragment of a particular truth with a lowercase t, but that it is a pure image of the unique, eternal and living capital T truth. And I'm wondering if what we make of that word truth has something to tell us. I mean, I think she means almost everything in life is a fragment of the bigger thing, right? Mm. When you're chopping onions, Like there are smells and there is texture and it makes you cry and you're about to cook something for people you love or for yourself. Mm. And like all of that, if we pay attention, if the way I live my life, I'm chopping an onion while I'm listening to a romance novel. And so I'm super not paying attention to the truth of the onion. Mm. There's symmetry in the onion. There's peeling back in the onion, right? Like it's just Mm. endlessly true and beautiful. But we have to pay attention to it in order to see the declared voice of I am truth. Mm. And so there are all sorts of truths around this table, right, about Americanism and Judaism and German life and wine and winemakers and (laughs) cheese that we get from France. And like there are a million truths at this table. And so maybe I'm tapping out of the truths Mm. by reading. I will say... Like, I learned something about myself. We were at a restaurant and everybody was speaking German. And it was the only time we were at a restaurant, I think, when we were there. But I'm a vegetarian and I couldn't read the menu. Mm. And like in Germany, it's like very high risk (laughs) to accidentally order something with meat. Yes. And Peter like half translated something to me and then he got pulled away and then the waitress came And I snapped at him. And I really, I am not someone who snaps at people. Mm. And I was like, I don't know what I'm ordering. Can you help me? Mm. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry. I was talking to people. And I was like, no, I know. But like, I I was also hungry. So I didn't know I was like capable of snapping at Peter. And I often judge other people for like snapping, right? I'm like, that's not nice. There's no reason you couldn't say that more nicely. And I feel like in that moment, I learned to empathize with people who do snap, because I'm like, oh, sometimes you feel so isolated and so unconnected and so not taken care of that you're going to snap. Even though I was at a restaurant sitting next to the man I loved, someone else was almost definitely paying for dinner. Like I was completely taken care of. And yet it's like possible to feel 
bad and even that situation. So I feel like I learned about myself. That's so interesting because I can imagine Simone Bay saying like, pay attention to that experience. Like what happened here? You know, that feeling of being ignored or, or not being able to advocate for yourself or being put on the spot, right? All of those feelings that lead to that very natural reaction of like, I need help. Like, don't, don't leave me here. That it's worthy of our attention of how we end up in that situation because it's how other people end up in that situation. Like, you know, I think she was clearly someone with a huge amount of compassion. And it feels like maybe that's the truth that I'm beginning to see. Maybe that's the capital T truth in this table conversation of like, just noticing how it sucks <laughs> and like how long can you stay present with that suckiness not as like some sort of self-sacrificial gift for Peter or for these other people but just like as a practice because there is so much goodness in our lives even amongst the things that are hard that I don't know I'm I'm uncomfortable with what I'm saying because it gets close to the kind of like glorification of suffering which I'm not into but there's there's something here about noticing what's hard and trying to stay with it because it's an act of love. I don't know. Well, and then also finding a way to not snap at Peter because like, mm. I never want to talk to right, him like that. Right. I'm imagining Lady Danbury and Simone Bay like at a dinner party sitting next to each other. And I'm wondering if, because they're both right. And these two questions are both true for you. The embracing of your own comfort and the like saying no to norms that are not useful anymore. And also this discipline and this practice of paying loving attention and, and enduring things that are hard. Are you having dinner with the same people every night of that week in Germany? Like, could you have Lady Danbury nights and Simone Bay nights? Because it's the same group of people. So, you know, it's fine to be there or not be there sometimes. Yeah, there's like a core of six. And then I would say that there's like a rotating group of three. That's so interesting that you asked that because I do think that it's the rotating group of three that I often have these really contentious moments with. Mm. Like there was a woman at one of these other nights where there were a lot of people who I didn't know who just like kept insulting me mm. um, as an American. She spoke English and she would say, oh, I can't understand American English in perfect English. And I would say something. She'd be like, I can't understand you. And I was like, you absolutely you clearly do. can understand me. She would like she understood the kids, but not me. And she was trying to make a point about the fact that I didn't speak German. Huh. And so it, it is the people who like don't know me and therefore like don't feel lovingly toward me that really are sometimes rude to me. And I don't know which way that makes me feel. Does that make me feel like Simone Bay and I should pay loving attention because that's really hard? Or should I be like, fuck you, I'm out and <laughs> sit and read? Be like, you're going to think I'm rude no matter what. Mm -hmm. And one of the guys m made a snarky comment about how Americans only speak one language. And I did answer him in Hebrew <laughs> because I was just so like, fuck you. <laughs> so I don't know. Like, I think that I also maybe want to be Simone Bay in those moments and just like have compassion even for people who I really can't stand and who, in my opinion, are being like quite ugly toward me. This is maybe a very obvious question, but what does Peter think? Peter I, does not remember this, but the first time I visited, I started reading at the table and it was just him and his brothers. And he asked me to put the book down, that it was rude. Mm -hmm. 
And it was the first visit that I met his brother's. And now he's like, screw it. If you want to read at the table, read at the table. I think that there are certain tables he would feel more comfortable with me reading at and other ones that he would feel less comfortable with me reading at. I also think it would make him more comfortable if I was knitting or drawing. Yeah. Like, I think drawing would make him feel the most comfortable because it would make him feel like he doesn't have to take care of me because I'm absorbed, but wouldn't seem rude to everybody. He's just really stuck between a rock and a hard place. He wants me there because he loves me and wants his family to know me. Mm. And it stresses him out to take care of like a non-German-speaking vegetarian (laughs) in (laughs) this place. Like it really, it's stressful for him. Mm. I feel like even with Lady Danbury and Simone, there isn't a clear cut answer because there is just a conflict of values and of priorities. And I wonder what you would do if we accepted that there isn't a clear answer to arrive at. Like what if there isn't, an obvious landing place. What do you do then? It's just so hard. I I think I also often feel in Germany like I have diminished capacity for difficult moments. And I think just when I travel to foreign-speaking countries, but like I am operating at a really vulnerable position. And so I actually think that this like balance of self-care and challenging yourself Mm. is a really important thing to do. So I don't know, alternate nights or like try for an hour and then bring out the book. I like both of those because I think both answers are right. And it's a question of sequencing or a question of mixing. I really have both values. Like And I don't want to make it sound like I'm suffering when I'm in Germany, (laughs) right? Like people are feeding me and loving me and housing me. And like, I don't spend a dime and like picking me up and chauffeuring me, right? Like this is not like painful. It's just painful in the like mental way, right? Mm -hmm. Also, I have depression. And so like when I can't distract myself, sometimes that voice gets louder. And but like in every material way, I'm not only taken care of, I'm like outright spoiled. Mm. So I value pushing myself and trying to pay attention and like spiritual nourishment. And then I also value self-care and being unapologetic. And so I guess it's, Yeah. yeah, it's about doing Doing both? That feels so lame. Just give me permission to read. Just do it. (laughs) Do it. (laughs) Just to zoom out from the particular question, I mean, this is something I think a lot of us will be familiar with where you have competing commitments, right? That's the frame that's talked about in leadership um, discourse is is that there are are two good things, but you can't do both at the same time. And so you you have two loyalties and and when you do one you can't do the other and when you do the other you can't do the one and so it's like what's the what's the way in which you can rotate or or, or sustain one until you can sustain the other because it might be you know sometimes you're traveling like the days you've got a lot of energy and so that's when you're like all in and then the last four days like it's just a little more tenuous and so that's when you retreat or or you know you, you go Lady Danbury. I also really like now just thinking of these two strategies as named after our two sources from today. <laughs> Simone and Lady Danbury. Yeah. The other thing I'll say, boat culture is very different in Germany than it is here. It's like not just for like fancy people there. A lot of people keep boats on the Rhine. And so we often will spend a day or two on one of Peter's brother's boats. And I feel like in America, if you hang out with someone, you do it for four hours. And in Germany, they just hang out for like 14 hours. It doesn't end. 
it's so long. Yeah. And so I always feel so awkward, like going off on like a relatively small boat to read. And I think that is the day that like I'm just allowed to go with a towel and like just read for a few hours. I like that. I mean, the final thing I'll say also is like that there comes a point in a relationship's maturity, if it's stable and supportive, that you don't have to do some of the performing of coupleship anymore. Like, I love the opera, but I don't want to go more than four, you know, three times a year. And like, Sean loves Shakespeare, but he probably only wants to go see one or two a year. And like, at some point, those things, like going to the thing that someone else loves once or twice is enough in a year. And if you want to do more, like, great, go get them, you know? And so I feel like, it's also right that you're asking this question now and not on your first trip, right? Like you have invested in those relationships. Peter knows that you care about his family. You've been with him in really difficult times, you know, as, as loved ones have, have passed away. And that established foundation of love and support is there. And so now there's, I think, the right moment to figure out, okay, how do we make sure that this week is both wonderful for him and wonderful for you. And I think you've got a really good balancing solution ready. Hummus, crackers, and books on the boat. <laughs> <laughs> Next year, I'm coming with you. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so fun. You would have a great time because you speak German. Thank you, Casper. Thank you, Julia Quinn. And thank you, Simone Vey. Everyone go read Romancing Mr. Bridgerton and Waiting for God. Well, thank you, Vanessa. And I just really appreciate that sometimes the answer to a real question is like both, right? It's not always like an easy place to arrive. And I think you've really helped us do that, not just see it today. So thank well, you for that. You've helped us do that. And I also want to thank Veronica from Los Angeles. So a V name from Los Angeles, who said, take small steps, but keep taking them. And that feels oh, nice for good. me today. Mm, thank you, Veronica. So I'm doing an upcoming episode about when is it okay to lie. And so if you could mm. please record a voicemail, I would really love voicemails about a time that you lied and you're super glad you did. You were like, good on me. That was a great lie. So please send in a voicemail. Oh, I can't wait for that conversation. You've been listening to The Real Question, and we can only make this show thanks to your support. So if you have the means to help out, please check out our Patreon. It is full of extra fun bonuses. We do a little Lectio every week. I do a little moment of inspiration every month with a favorite poem. There's hilarious bonus bits of us laughing or goofing out as we record the episode. So please join us on Patreon. Thank you to the 630 people who are already doing that. We so appreciate it. If you love this show, you can also leave us a review on iTunes or share the show with your friends. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Real Question Pod and on Twitter at The Real Q Pod. We're a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman and our music is by Nick Boll. And we are distributed by Acast. Thanks to Julia Argy, Molly Baxter, Stephanie Purcell, and Nikki Zoltan, especially this week for talking to us at the top of the episode. And of course, everyone who supports the show on Patreon. We'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.